0: Alright, yep, welcome everyone, and welcome to those of you who are joining us on Facebook as well. We are in Judges chapter 9, now we left off I think around, what was it, verse 16, maybe, maybe verse 7, I, I don't recall exactly, but we want to review this anyway because Abimelech is going to be the, you know, a significant part of our time here today. And you're going to notice themes, those of you who are familiar with David and Absalom, you're going to notice some themes, I mean, not of course identical, but sort of the, the disappointing son, <laughs> uh, the disappointing son of the king. And, and so by way of, uh, by way of uh, the opposite of who Christ is, you hope know, Pimelech ends up showing us who Christ is. Um, by, by his failures, you know, much the same with Absalom. When we, we, you know, Absalom shows us, as, as the son of David, Absalom is. Of course, Christ is the son of David. Absalom, by his actions and behavior, show us the opposite of who Christ is. So, much the same with Abimelech. Now, if you remember, we left off with the story of Gideon, and things go south for Gideon at the end of his life. He makes the ephod, idolatry comes in, seems to be the case that they retain some semblance of Yahweh worship in the midst of the idolatrous worship. Then Gideon dies. Uh, He's got 30 sons, and then he's got a son of a prostitute named Abimelech. And Abimelech, through political machinations, you're going to see he's quite shrewd, through political machinations, arranges it so the people essentially support him, and then he has the, uh, the other 30 sons of Jerubal, or Gideon, uh, killed. And he has them killed on a stone, and that's worth keeping in mind. It's worth keeping in mind that he has them. So I think that that's uh, chapter 9, and then, and then verse 5, if I'm not mistaken. And he went to his father's house at Ophrah and killed his brothers, the son of Jerubal, Seventy men on one stone. Oh, was it 70 brothers? I said 30. I was wrong. It's 70. Seventy men on one stone. Okay, And then Jotham escapes. But Jotham, the youngest of Jerubbabel, was left, for he hid himself. And all the leaders of Shechem came together, and all Beth and they went and made Abimelech king by the oak of the pillar at Shechem. Okay. And uh, this is... Uh, So so what you have here, too, of course, now we remember, and I don't want to go into any detail here, but you, but you remember how they wanted to make Gideon the king, and Gideon said, no, 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 uh, I'll never be your king, just, just give me all the money and power. <laughs> and then doesn't Abimelech mean, um, doesn't Abimelech mean, yeah, my father is king. <laughs> no, no, I can never be your, your king, what's the name of your son, my father is king. <laughs> so so there 's some some deep irony here, of course, and um, then if you 're looking at the history of of the people of Israel, Abimelech is i mean he 's never really the fully the king of israel, but he 's the first attempt at a king of israel so it 's only after the time of the judges where you get to Saul and then David and then Solomon of the unified Kingdom that you have kings in israel and of course there's uh, there 's quite a bit to say about that but Um, Here you see uh, really the first attempt at an official formal kingship among the people of Israel. And it doesn't go well, of course. Okay, so chapter 9, verse 7. When it was told to Jotham, he went and stood on top of Mount Gerizim and cried aloud and said to them, Listen to me, you leaders of Shechem, that God may listen to you. The trees once went out to anoint a king over them. And they said to the olive tree, Reign over us. But the olive tree said to them, Shall I leave my abundance, by which gods and men are honored, and go hold sway over the trees? And the trees said to the fig tree, You come and reign over us. But the fig tree said to them, Shall I leave my sweetness and my good fruit, and go hold sway over the trees? And the trees said to the vine, You come and reign over us. But the vine said to them, shall I leave my wine that cheers God and men and go hold sway over the trees? Then all the trees said to the bramble, you come and reign over us. And the bramble said to the trees, if in good faith you are anointing me king over you, then come and take refuge in my shade. But if not, let fire come out of the bramble and devour the cedars of Lebanon. So, an interesting, interesting Uh, parables slash sermons slash prophetic utterance here uh, made by Jotham. Of course, Jotham knows who has killed his his brothers. And so, you know, here on... I'll just refer you to the study note down here. Um, Jotham's parable, this is study note chapter 9, verse 8 through 15. Jotham's parable features plants that can speak, representing various rulers... This is the first parable recorded in Scripture. For you Bible trivia fanatics out there. Jotham's story did not oppose kingship, but rejected Abimelech as king. The olive tree, fig tree, and vine all produced abundant food in the land, but the bramble was worthless, and its thorns were harmful. The parable also voiced a warning to the Shechemites. If they had not made their choice in good faith, and if their choice did not give proper recognition to Abimelech's father and his family, the bramble would stir a fire that would devour their beautiful, quote-unquote, cedars. Okay, so in other words, who is the bramble? Abimelech. And if the others aren't cautious, and I mean, he, so, so already there's an insult there that Abimelech is worthless and thorny and all of that and not bearing any good fruit. Uh, but then if, if, if the uh, if the elders of Shechem aren't, uh, aren't aware of this, don't protect themselves, don't act prudently, then um, fire is going to come forth from this bramble and consume them. Now, that, uh, that isn't really a natural image, you know, fire coming from bramble, but that's the, uh, that's the imagery of the, of the Scripture's first parable here. So, we're going to see if that comes true. We're going to see if the cedars of Lebanon, that is, the, um, the men of uh, Shechem, are able to uh, keep an eye on Abimelech or not. So then, verse 16, Now therefore, if you acted in good faith and integrity when you made Abimelech king, and if you have dealt well with Jerubal and his house, and have done to him as his deeds deserved, for my father fought for you and risked his life and delivered you from the hand of Midian, and you have risen up against my father's house this day and have killed his sons, Seventy men on one stone, and have made Abimelech the son of his female servant, king over the leaders of Shechem, because he is your relative. If you then have acted in good faith and integrity with Jerubal and with his house this day, then rejoice in Abimelech, and let him also rejoice in you. Well, had they? No. And so, yeah, this is all quite tongue-in-cheek, quite sarcastic, all in all. Verse 20, but if not, let fire come out from Abimelech and devour the leaders of Shechem and Beth Milo. And let fire come out from the leaders of Shechem and from Beth Milo and devour Abimelech. And Jotham ran away and fled and went to beer and uh, the place, not the drink, and lived there because of Abimelech, his brother. Obviously, Abimelech is not going to take kind to this, and he's also going to want to wrap up unfinished business, get rid of the only other potential... uh, uh, king and heir. So, you know that that sort of wraps up that little chapter. Abimelech takes over. He, you know, back in uh, you can see back in chapter nine, verse one, how Abimelech goes to Shechem to his mother's relatives. Of course, his mother was a concubine. Uh, gets them all rallied up. Kills the seventy uh, sons of Jerubbaal. One escapes Jotham. Jotham pronounces this parable and prophetic utterance, and that sort of closes the chapter. All right, any thoughts or questions before we move on to uh, verse 22? I mean, how did they thought themselves good because he was murdering people? That was That's the criteria for a king. If I kill 70 yeah. people, I'm the one in charge. Yeah, I think the key there, if there's any key, I mean, you're, <laughs> your objection notwithstanding, the, uh, the power of earthly family, family ties, relatives, you know, can blind you to the evil of a man and the evil of a person, the evil of your own actions. So I think that's kind of the key if you look at, uh, again, chapter 9, verse 1, that he goes to Shechem to his mother's relatives, says to them and to the whole clan of his mother's family, you know, say in, in the ears of all the leaders of Shechem which is better for you, you know, that his other sons rule or that I, you know, born of um, your relation, born of uh, my mother, that I would rule. And he says, remember also that I am your bone and your flesh. So, yeah, family ties over uh, over principle and doing what's right. Yeah. Yeah. So obviously this, I um, mean, this sermon by... Uh, by Jotham, makes him no friends, because it's a it's a denunciation. I mean, it's kind of a sarcastic denunciation of the Shechemites and the the elders of Shechem. So, uh, obviously, he runs away, flees to Beer, and and lives there, um, you know, in in fear of retribution. All right, verse twenty-two. Abimelech ruled over Israel three years. This is an interesting verse. And God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the leaders of Shechem, and the leaders of Shechem dealt treacherously with Abimelech, that the violence done to the 70 sons of Jerubal might come, and their blood be laid on Abimelech their brother who killed them, and on the men of Shechem who strengthened his hands to kill his brothers. Interesting. You know, I don't I don't know that we need to go too far and read this. You have the leaders of Shechem. Is this a different group? Is this a subgroup? Possibly did this Sermon of Jotham sort of convert the more neutral members, and now you've got this rift and split? You know, I don't know. I don't know. All of those things are possibilities. But the one thing is certain, um, you do have a division in the ranks, and all of a sudden, whereas Abimelech was seen as great and wonderful, pretty much universally, there is now a significant section, in Shechem, uh, that is uh, antagonistic towards Abimelech. And the reason for this given, God sent an evil spirit between them. Now, the study note says, the Lord allows Satan and his evil angels to inspire an attitude of distrust and bitterness. And then C note on 1 Kings 22. I didn't look that up, but I suspect that that's uh, <clears throat> Doesn't the doesn't the evil spirit um, befall um, Saul, and then in, and David will come and play his harp and it'll seem to yeah? So I don't know that that's the specific reference, but I would guess it is. Um, but this is an interesting thing: the Lord allows Satan, is the language of the study note, the language of the English translation. God sent an evil spirit. That would certainly fit Luther's theology of even the devil is God, still God's devil, still His created being, and God's going to do what He wants. Um, but, but yeah, this is uh, it's a very curious line of scripture. The study note also says a little further down the Shechemites' true character became obvious. Their unhappiness with Abimelech may have arisen because Abimelech did not reside in their city and they had not benefited from his kingship. So, you know, that's a that's a rather uh, pessimistic and cynical view which you know certainly has equal validity to the one I presented and that's, um, you can read this as well they just didn't, they were completely self-serving and Abimelech didn't give them all the things they thought they were deserved and so they started despising him so just sort of no, no morality or, or conviction on the part of Jotham's sermon rather just their own base self-interest drove them humanly speaking to be antagonistic toward Abimelech Well, be that as it may, what did we say? 25? Did we get through 25? Let's pick up at 25. And the leaders of Shechem put men in ambush against him on the mountaintops, and they robbed all who passed by them along the way, and it was told to Abimelech. So they're trying to get Abimelech. In the meantime, they're causing havoc. By the way, this is what the oppressors, I mean, this is effectively what Midian did to these same people. Now they're doing to themselves. Um, so, I mean, I, I think I pointed out last week that Judges is full of irony. It's just, pr- it's astounding. It's, there's sarcasm, there's irony, there's uh, like a real bitter kind of sardonic humor in some of these things. And, and this may yet be another instance of that. They become a curse to themselves. Verse 26, And Gaal, the son of Ebed, moved into Shechem with his relatives. and The leaders of Shechem put confidence in him. And they went out into the field and gathered the grapes from their vineyards and trod them and held a festival. And they went into the house of their god and ate and drank and reviled Abimelech. And Gaal, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech? And who are we of Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jerubal? And is not Zebul his officer? Serve the men of Hamor, the father of Shechem. But why should we serve him? Would that this people were under my hand. Then I would remove Abimelech. I would say to Abimelech, Increase your army and come out. All right. So in the midst of the, yeah, the disgruntled Shechemites. Of course, what's this business about um, gathering the grapes from their vineyards, trotting them, and holding the festival? It was all for the grape jelly and peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Right? <laughs> uh, obviously, there's a lot of wine flowing here, and uh, and you know potentially also. The, oh, so this is. These are. Um, pagan idolaters and harvest time is like not only drunkenness but sexual immorality and the whole the whole kit and caboodle as they say and so uh you know in the middle of this this sort of pagan feast this all stands up and and basically challenges Abimelech's leadership tries to get the Shechemites behind him all right so that's where we're at in terms of the narrative um, it's interesting, too. I wonder if the study note picks up on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. On, on 28. Baal worshippers complained about Abimelech, whose father Gideon had torn down Baal's altar. You know, that's why the name is used here. So, and Gaal, the son of Ebed, said, Who is Abimelech, and who are we of Shechem that we should serve him? Is he not the son of Jerubbaal? Um, remember, that Jerubal is the guy who knocked down the Baal altar. Here we are in the presence of Baal, drinking Baal's wine, you know, all of this stuff, and this guy is the son of Baal killer, you know. <laughs> it's like, let's go get him. We don't want this guy in charge of us. So, uh, you know, there's a, there's a religious element and fervor, too, to Gaal's claim. All right, then uh, verse 30. When Zebul, the ruler of the city, heard the words of Gaal, the son of Ebed, his anger was kindled. And he sent messengers to Abimelech secretly, saying, Behold, Gaal, the son of Ebed, and his relatives have come to Shechem, and they are stirring up the city against you. Now therefore, go by night, you and the people who are with you, and set an ambush in the field. Then in the morning, as soon as the sun is up, Rise early and rush upon the city, and when he and the people who are with him come out against you, you may do to them as your hand finds you to do. I mean, this whole thing is kind of like the wicked punishing the wicked, or evil versus evil. It's that that irony that evil always devours itself in its own self-interest. Okay, and then verse 34. So Abimelech and all the men who were with him rose up by night and set an ambush against Shechem in four companies. And Gaal the son of Ebed went out and stood in the entrance of the gate of the city and Abimelech and the people who were with him rose from the ambush. And when Gaal saw the people, he said to Zebel, Look, people are coming down from the mountaintops. Zebel said to him, "You mistake the shadow of the mountains for men <laughs> <laughs> you know i don't I don't know the I suppose we could go with a fine tooth comb I don't think we'll find an answer though whether this was a number of days that passed or whether this was all all took place that night, that detail doesn't so much matter as." Because even if it went on a number of days, it's still sort of this festival of the harvest. They're still drinking and carousing, and this whole theme of yeah, let's get Abimelech. Okay, so it doesn't matter if he comes that very night or several nights later. But what does what does matter is this theme um, that when Gaal comes out to the uh, yeah, where is it? He comes out to the out of the city. What's the exact language there? Oh, I missed it. Yeah, in the entrance of the gate of the city. I mean, he's wasted. He, he's he's had he's had lots of wine. And he's kinda going out to the gate of the city, you know, and just having kind of one of these reflective, self-satisfied moments. And he uh and he looks out and he you know, he thinks he sees <laughs> this army rushing down the mountain. And of course, uh so he calls for Zebel, who's head of the head of the city here, and he says, look, people are coming down from the mountaintops. And Zebul says to him, I mean, I love this, because you could only convince a drunk person of this. Ah, you mistake the shadow of the mountains for man. Gaal <laughs> spoke again and said, look, people are coming down from the center of the land, and one company is coming from the direction of the diviner's oak. Then Zebul said to him, <laughs> now, now the gig's up, right? Where's your mouth now, you who, have, you who said, who is Abimelech that we should serve him? Are not these the people whom you despised? Go out now and fight with them. And Gaal went out at the head of the leaders of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. So again, I mean, narratively speaking, it presumes that Gaal sort of like goes back in and says, uh, guys, we're under attack, it's time, and they all gather together, and so there's going to be this you know, this battle. So Gaal went out at the, head of the, at the head of the leaders of Shechem and fought with Abimelech. And Abimelech chased him, and he fled before him. And many fell wounded up to the entrance of the gate. And Abimelech lived at Arumah, and Zebel drove out Gaal and his relatives, so they could not dwell at Shechem. Verse 42, On the following day the people went out into the field, and Abimelech was told. He took his people and divided them into three companies, and set an ambush in the fields. And he looked and saw the people coming out of the city. So he rose against them and killed them. Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood at the entrance of the gate of the city, while the two companies rushed upon all who were in the field and killed them. And Abimelech fought against the city all that day. He captured the city and killed the people who were in it, and he razed the city and sowed it with salt. So, yeah, I mean, this is, so this is exactly, this is exactly what Jotham had said, right? Yeah, I mean, here's the, here's fire coming forth from the brown bull, here's them, uh, they, I mean, originally they chose him, then the Lord sent this uh, evil spirit, and there's all this sort of disgruntlement, there's this division, and now you've got these two factions, you've got Gaal and and his followers versus uh, Abimelech and his followers. And so those very, you know, many of the very people that voted for Abimelech, so to speak, obviously not a formal vote, are now being put to death by him. So evil, I mean, God uses evil to punish evil. Um, sowing it with salt, of course, that's so that uh, no crops will (laughs) grow. (laughs) Pretty nasty thing to do because, you know, nothing will ever grow there again. Is you know, at least a long, long time. All right, verse 46. When all the leaders of the Tower of Shechem heard of it, they entered the stronghold of the house of Elbereth. Abimelech was told that all the leaders of the Tower of Shechem were gathered together. And Abimelech went up to Mount Zalman, and all the people who were with him. And Abimelech took an axe in his hand and cut down a bundle of brushwood and took it up and laid it on his shoulder. And he said to the men who were with him, What you have seen me do, hurry and do as I have done. So, I mean, you have some very light and distant kinds of motifs and images that this evokes. One is uh, Isaac going up the hill with the wood upon which he's going to, you know, be sacrificed himself, and of course the reference there to Jesus bearing the wood. And here you've got just about the opposite of that, don't you? Prideful, self-serving, and instead of instead of laying down his own life, instead of saving others, he's going to take their lives from them. He's going to kill them. So you have a very anti-Christ kind of image here. Um, so what you have seen me do, hurry and do as I have done. And what he did, of course, was took the, a bundle of brushwood, uh, uh, brushwood and um, took it up on his shoulder. Verse 49, so every one of the people cut down his bundle and following Abimelech, put it against the stronghold and they set the stronghold on fire over them so that all the people of the Tower of Shechem also died, about a thousand men and women. So now here the bramble shooting forth fire is... I mean, very literal, (laughs) very literal. Okay, 50, then Abimelech, I I mean, the, the fact that women are included is, again, meant narratively to just show the outrage of his wickedness. Then Abimelech went to Thebez and encamped against Thebez and captured it. But there was a strong tower within the city and all the men and women and all the leaders of the city fled to it and shut themselves in it. And they went up to the roof of the tower. And Abimelech came to the tower and fought against it and drew near to the door of the tower to burn it with fire. And a certain woman threw an upper millstone on Abimelech's head and crushed his skull. Then he called quickly to the young men, his armor bearer, and said to him, Draw your sword and kill me, lest they say of me a woman killed him. And his young man Thrust him through, and he died. And when the men of Israel saw that Abimelech was dead, everyone departed to his home. Thus God returned the evil of Abimelech, which he committed against his father in killing his seventy brothers. And God also made all the evil of the men of Shechem return on their heads, and upon them came the curse of Jotham, the son of Jerubbaal. So Joth, Jotham then is the one surviving son. I think you can see in, in, um, in 56 and 57 what the theological theme of this event and its recounting is. And that is that God returns evil for evil. He punishes evil with evil. It's own machinations. So you have uh, not only Abimelech repaid, um, but then the men of Shechem repaid as well. Uh, one one way that it is precisely tit for tat and and there's this inclusio is do you remember the 70s the 70 sons his 70 brothers he killed them on a what a stone and how is he then killed with a stone yeah as if God's saying there you go we learn we learn something about this from god frankly because you know god is just and just It used to kind of bother me because I I thought in a really simplistic way about God's justice, that it wasn't quite enough like um, dotting the I's and crossing the T's. It wasn't quite specific enough. But as I've grown older and learned more of the scriptures, you realize, oh, it's ridiculously specific. God, every I gets dotted, every T gets crossed. And I mean, here's one example. Uh, He who killed them on a stone is killed by a stone. Now, deeper than that, of course, you have this reflection. We've reflected on Abimelech being an Antichrist-type figure. And if you recall, it wasn't a stone but a tree. And Satan uses a tree to destroy humanity. And so it's by a tree that he is destroyed, you know, by the tree of the cross. So um, You also have this wonderful th- aspect, um, just as you did with Deborah and Barak. And uh, remember J.L. killing Sisera? Well, here you've got an unnamed woman who uh, does the coup de grace and um, is the one who kills him with, uh, smashes his skull. That, that language is very fascinating too because again, as we've, as we've meditated on Abimelech being a satanic figure, remember the uh, Satan in the garden of the serpent? God promises, uh, yeah, the seed of the woman will crush your head. So, I mean, if you were to be real real tight typologically with it, which might not be the best idea, uh, that, w- that woman represents Eve, that nameless woman represents Eve, or represents woman, capital W, woman, and that rock represents Christ. It smashes the head of the devil, crushes the serpent's head, crushes Abimelech, the murderer. Anyway, your mileage may vary on how you apply it, but you can see that there's these rich dynamics here, and that even this odd historical event and it's being recorded in scripture ends up directing us to the themes the larger themes of scripture and the, that that the chief of which is Christ and his conquering conquering the devil just as God here conquers Abimelech Aslam was, was killed on a stone thank you for that yeah. yeah yeah that's interesting I'm not much of a I'm not much of a um, Narnia theologian so i'd I mean, I know, <laughs> I, as a Lutheran, I always think of the the uh, stone tablets of the law and yeah. thus Aslan dying on a stone table. But I don't know if that's exactly what C.S. Lewis meant or if I he had know. something else in mind. Um, yeah. Once when I was talking to you years ago, you s- we were talking about sin, and you said, sin has its own punishment. It's like... Yeah, and yes. And I've thought about that for years, and I've seen it's true. Oh, yeah. And so all of this kind of falls into that category in my mind. Yeah. That as he works his sinful ways, all the sinful ways come back on him. Absolutely, absolutely. Yes. Thank you for that, Alice. I mean, sin in and of itself is its own punishment, um, and then and then all the consequences and repercussions, just natural and inherent to it. You know? it's, it's one of the reasons why we d- why we. Re- I mean, it's easier said than done. We really don't need to worry about vengeance, because God says vengeance is mine, and He's quite capable of doing it in um, ways that are fully satisfying. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. so this is an interesting section of the scriptures, a fascinating exchange, and you know, again, one of those things that, in a, in a, a, a thematically, a tonally dark sort of way, um, point out how Christ will. Conquer Satan, how God wins out over evil, how God uses evil to punish evil, and um, and then how God uh, spares uh, spares some, including here Jotham, who preached that uh, who preached that parable and sermon, and exactly that took place. Okay, well that's uh, yeah. Did you have a thought? We uh, let let me get you a microphone here. One sec. Could you comment on the stone in Zion that causes people to stumble and people would not be put to shame with the stone? Yeah, well, that's Christ, of course, uh, depicted there as a stone, too, albeit the imagery would be a little different, maybe. He's a, he's a stone that one stumbles over and is broken, but that stone can also fall upon you and be broken. So maybe you draw some sort of parallel there. Christ being that stone, you know, the stone of stumbling and the rock of offense, but also the chief cornerstone and the capstone, yeah, Yeah. lots of interesting themes there, well thank you for bringing that up, okay, uh, Tola and Jair, This is kind of strange that it's even recorded, to be honest with you, but it's fascinating. Um, After Abimelech, chapter 10, verse 1, there arose to save Israel. Okay, so there's the point of the judges. And their arising is due to God, so we want to continue those themes. There arose to save Israel Tola the son of Puah, son of Dodo, a man of Issachar, and he lived at Shamir in the hill country of Ephraim. And he judged Israel 23 years, then he died and was buried at Shamir. So Tola here is the second of the so called minor judges. As you can see, he has a plenty long 10 year and timeline. He's just minor because the events aren't really recorded for us. But we do know that he's given to save Israel, so we remember that God is the giver of, of all saviors and even those that merely point to Jesus or lead us to Jesus. Um, but then uh, we see here that he judged Israel 23 years. And, and what we're going to see from this is uh, this, this probably indicates a, a time of relative peace. You know, there's not oppression. There's not this great inner turmoil as with Abimelech and Gaal. So this is a 23-year t- a period of peace. And then verse 3, after him rose Jair, the uh, Gileadite, who judged israel twenty two years, so if you if you put those together fifty five and he had thirty sons who wrote on okay well in order to have thirty sons you 're not going to have that with one woman, <laughs> so there 's polygamy here um, and so that's uh, there's actually the study note says something good on that. Let me return to that in a minute. Um, but yeah, he had 30 sons who rode on 30 donkeys. That's prosperity, uh, and they had 30 cities, and that's definitely prosperity. I mean, how would you like to turn 16 and your dad gives you a city? Be all right. Uh, and these are called Havoth Jair to this day, which are in the land of Gilead. and Jair died and was buried in Cayman, or Camon. And then just look at the next line. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. So, narratively, it appears that this is a little 55-year reprieve. I mean, not to say that there wasn't ups and downs, but it just, there was nothing huge the way there are in in these other stories. Um, So, 55 years of relative peace under uh, Tola and Jair. Yeah, the note on uh, the study note on chapter ten, verse one through five, the Lord provides rescue and safety through two minor judges. Even good judges like Jair are affected by the sins of the culture, polygamy, and a thirst for wealth. How blind we may be to the besetting sins of our culture. God's grace stepped into our world in the person of Jesus who rode a donkey in humility, so that he might teach and serve the people. So a nice, uh, a nice reminder there that uh, even the good men and even the heroes of the faith are still deeply tainted with sin. And that's true in the Old Testament. It's true for all times and all places. And we, need, uh, we all need Jesus our Savior. So, yeah, I thought that was, I thought that was good to, on the study note for pointing that out. All right, well, let's go into verse 6 in the next, the next uh, episode here. Yeah, this is a major episode indeed. All right. The people of Israel again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreth, the gods of Syria, the gods of Sidon, the gods of Moab, the gods of the Ammonites, and the gods of the Philistines. If, if memory serves, that's seven. You can fact check me there, but that's I think that's seven. So you have a, and they forsook the Lord and did not serve Him. Now the serving is, um, yeah, the, they serve the Baals and the Astartes, and and then. Um, they did not serve God. That serving is loaded. It doesn't mean like just believe in or live for, but it actually means formal worship. It's it's sort of like liturgy. I mean, maybe that's a little bit of a loose connection to make, but it at least communicates the sense that this isn't an abstract kind of word. This serve word, um, this is uh, this is formal worship and identification with. Verse seven. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel. I mean, how many times have they screwed up and has he sent them, you know, these judges, these saviors? Over and over and over and over again. So, you know, it's, it's fascinating because we learn a couple of things about the Lord. I mean, we, we learn that he is slow to anger on the one hand, but maybe even more radically in our Lutheran circles is he does come to anger. You know, he, he's... He, the language kind of fails us, but you'll understand what I mean. He, he has a personality, you know. He, his, he he's long-suffering, but there is a time when his patience comes to an end. In that respect, he's he's more like a, a human being than some kind of gigantic robot or system in the sky. You know, he enough is enough. He gets fed up. Um, at least that's how the scriptures depict him. Verse seven, and then and then, of course, he continues to show mercy, though even after he calls us to repent. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he sold them into the hand of the Philistines and into the hand of the Ammonites, and they crushed and oppressed the people of Israel that year. For 18 years they oppressed all the people of Israel who were beyond the Jordan in the land of the Amorites, which is in Gilead. And the Ammonites crossed the Jordan to fight also against Judah and against Benjamin. And against the house of Ephraim, so that Israel was severely distressed. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord, saying, We have sinned against you, because we have forsaken our God and served the Baals. So, I mean, this this can show us that afflictions come so that we might return to the Lord. Verse 11, And the Lord said to the people of Israel, Did I not save you from the Egyptians, and from the Amorites, from the Ammonites, and from the Philistines? The Sidonians also, and the Amalekites, and the Maonites oppressed you, and you cried out to me, and I saved you out of their hand. Yet you have forsaken me, and served other gods. Therefore I will save you no more. And here's one of... uh, more than a few examples in Scripture um, where God loses patience. He says, "That's it. You know, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna save you anymore. I I know when I'm, I know when I'm being used and abused here." So He says, "Therefore, I will save you no more." Verse fourteen: "Go and cry out to the gods whom you have chosen." That's, yeah. I mean, there's some like bitter sarcasm. God said, you know, the one true God says, go cry out to the gods whom you've chosen. Let them save you in the time of your distress. You know, you like to worship them? Let them save you. Of course, they won't, and they can't. Verse 15, And the people of Israel said to the Lord, We have sinned. Do to us whatever seems good to you. Only please deliver us this day. Now, who knows what's in their hearts and their intentions, but at least as far as the words go, this is fine. This is great. I mean, they're... It seems and appears to be genuine repentance and they're willing to take whatever fatherly discipline or chastisement or you know, punishment, however you want to look at that, that he has to deliver. That's why he says, Due to, that's why they say, do to us whatever seems good to you only, please deliver us this day. So, you know, again, anytime you're dealing with God's people, period, but maybe especially in the Bible, um, the repentance is always suspect, uh, but, but here at least it has the appearances of being uh, genuine. So, Verse 16, so they put away the foreign gods from among them and served the Lord. And that really, you can see there too, that that the serving is liturgical in nature. It has to do with worship. Served the Lord, and he became impatient over the misery of Israel. That is, he he turned in order to um, help them. Verse 17, then the Ammonites were called to arms, and they encamped in Gilead, and the people of Israel came together and they encamped at Mizpah. And the people, the leaders of Gilead said to one another, Who is the man who will begin to fight against the Ammonites? He shall be head over all the in- inhabitants of Gilead. Okay, well you can tell from the heading that Jephthah is coming. And uh, yeah, he's going to be the guy. So we're going to have um, the next, I mean this was just the build up to where we get to Jephthah. We'll have to do that next week. The Lord be with you.